0: Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and we have a fascinating guest with us today. Doug Norman served for 20 years of active duty in the U.S. Navy Submarine Force, retired in 2002 at the age of 41. He and his spouse, a retired Navy reservist, reached financial independence in the late 90s on a high savings rate. They've lived in Hawaii for over 30 years, and their daughter, Carol, was born and raised on Oahu. These days, Doug enjoys surfing, slow travel, writing, public speaking, reading, home improvement, personal finance conferences, and more surfing. So, Doug, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Eric. Uh, I enjoyed your episode on fear and
0: greed. We're seeing a lot of that today. Uh, we are, and the pendulum does swing back and forth um, pretty hmm. pretty aggressively sometimes. Uh, they are two of the, the driving forces. Not only were you financially independent at what I would consider a very young age, But you've written a book on the subject specifically for folks in the military to be able to do this uh, called The Military Guide to Financial Independence and Retirement.
1: Tell us about the book. Well, it just talks to uh, military families and uh, lets them know that while they're actually on active duty or in the reserves or the National Guard, that they can still save and invest for financial independence. We, uh, we tend to not really be aware of the benefits and how to tap into all that and uh, tend to get distracted by being the, the daily routine of being in the military and raising a military family. But I'm um, trying to raise the awareness on that. And we've had a lot of people that have come into the financial independence movement from the military hoping to figure that out. And I can speak directly to their military benefits.
0: I would love to do that because the military is one of the areas where you still have a a fairly robust pension, which makes a huge difference for folks. Uh, uh, So let's talk a little bit about that and how families, military families specifically, are able to to best take advantage of what's available to them that maybe they're not thinking about.
1: Well, it's ironic that everybody considers the pension. Uh, Only one out of every six people that join the military actually stick around long enough that 20-year to... uh, cliff vest in that pension, most people will do one or two obligations and get out somewhere between four and 12 years of service. And the military guide and the blog and all the conversations I've had with people over the years focuses on what you can do with your income, with your paycheck, with your thrift savings plan, the military equivalent of a 401k and a high savings rate and reach financial independence on your own pay and benefits and a high savings rate and not have to gut it out to 20 for that pension
0: so so let's talk about high savings rate the word high could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people if you're saving five percent of your income you think 10 is high <laughs> if you're saving 20 percent of your income 30 sounds high what is a high savings rate by your by your definition or what's the range uh, the
1: the savings rates range from 15 percent all the way up to as high as i've seen a couple of people reach up there in the 70s Uh, i think that if you're trying to reach financial independence in a 20-year period that 40 percent is a worthy goal to strive for but when you're coming fresh out of school and starting your military career you're going to have a little trouble reaching that high savings rate right away but after four or five years in the military get a few promotions get a few pay raises by then you're able to live like you started out in the military at a lower standard of living and adjust your savings and spend the money on the things that you value, but your savings rate will rise as you get more experience and promotion and qualifications in the military. So for example, when I started out, I was lucky if I had 10 or $20 left over at the end of the month, but as I got promoted and as my pay went up, then I was able to save most of those promotions and those pay raises and put those into savings and investments. Now, I'm not gonna tell everybody to go out there and strive for a 40% savings rate, quality of life is much more important than the money part. But I will say that if someone is only saving 15%, then they're probably going to be financial independence more in their late fifties than they are in their forties.
0: You have a lot, a lot here. Let's unpack it a little bit because yeah, right. um, first, when you talk about 15 to 40%, we, we use 15% as sort of a baseline. So like mm-hmm. you, if if you're not living on 85% of what you make or less, we consider that kind of a red flag um just in terms of reaching financial <laughs> independence although although quite frankly i don't like rules of thumb everybody's different and everybody's family situation is different everyone's dynamics are different someone with a 15% savings rate and no children will have a totally different outcome than someone with a 15% savings rate and four kids you know ultimately Absolutely. i think there's a lot of variables there so but you're talking about 15 to 40% is that of net income or is that of gross income
1: Oh, it's gross income because in the military, about a third, sometimes as much as half of your compensation comes from allowances, untaxed allowances, not just from a paycheck.
0: Well, that, that we also use gross income, so I'm glad we're, we're aligned in that because one of the things we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know where tax policy is going to go. And certainly yep. for somebody, somebody coming out of school who's 20 years old um, or entering the military or entering the uh, private sector or any other job you know to suggest that we have an idea what tax policy might look like when they're old enough to collect social security (laughs) allegedly in 45 to 50 years is is foolish we don't know what tax policy is going to be after november so uh, you you know i I think it's a very difficult thing to do so we do go gross to gross um good so so while you've got a you've got these uh these various allowances they're tax-free we've seen the same thing with certain folks who work in other countries Um, or who have um, uh, allowances for localities, or for hazard pay, or for other types of things in in different ways. Um, That's a huge benefit, and something people maybe aren't thinking about or tapping into, because you figure the government's going to take 25 to 40% of every dollar you make anyway from one way or another before you even take it home.
1: Absolutely. And when you're starting out your career in the military, you are very lightly taxed. And that's a great time to take advantage of not just, uh, for example, a tax-deferred traditional 401k or IRA, but to put the money straight into a Roth Thrift Savings Plan or a Roth IRA and avoid having to pay those taxes right up front. But again, people are not necessarily aware of those things when they join the military.
0: So the Roth Thrift Savings Plan and the Thrift Savings Plan is the same for military as it is for other federal government employees. Basically, the, the Thrift it, Plan it's is, exact same it, one.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, so that's that's something that a good chunk of the population is a part of and, and understands in one way or another. Um, but a lot of people don't know the difference between the traditional and the Roth or the benefits between them. And I can appreciate while while uh, early early military employees are not. Um, are not heavily taxed the opportunity to do the Roth is amazing I mean you're you're that is a home run oh absolutely so you can build some wealth with income that's coming to you partially tax-free you can use after-tax dollars to fund the Roth like anyone else except some of them weren't taxed in the first place you can Mm -hmm. defer any you're paying no taxes as it grows you're not paying capital gains you're not paying ordinary income tax you're paying nothing and then as long as you follow the rules in terms of age restrictions and other things you also don't pay anything when you make withdrawals, it's it's a, it's a complete home run. You can build an enormous amount of wealth that way. And that in and of itself is an amazing opportunity for, for military, especially younger military families, I would think. Oh,
1: absolutely. And again, it's not that you're going to stick around for 20 years, it's that you're going to use the military to lay that foundation, uh, have that money compounding for the rest of your working years and your life. And you're going to start with the skills and the qualifications you get in the military. I mean, if you're challenged and fulfilled and enjoying what you do in the military then, then keep doing it but when the fun stops it's time to go to the reserves or the national guard or to change a career and find something that is challenging and fulfilling so that that savings rate feels like winning you know you're saving 15 40 percent maybe even more of your income and you're having a good life you got time with your family good quality and you feel like you're reaching financial independence and enjoying the journey along the way
0: so money is often a taboo subject. It's one of the things people don't <laughs> talk about generally. Um, families don't talk about it uh, freely. Sometimes you need uh, a financial advisor or or, or a, a therapist, for crying out loud, just to get people to discuss things like this. Um, oh yeah. How, how, how do you engage in those conversations? How do you get, particularly the young people, to, to start communicating with each other. I mean, if you're, if you're a, a, young, a young military employee and you're getting married, for example, and you're marrying someone with $80,000 of student loan debt, which is not uncommon, um, that seems like the kind of thing you'd want to discuss before you, you hit your financials, no? No.
1: It, it does seem like the kind of thing you'd want to discuss, but I don't know many people who do that kind of financial review and analysis and planning before they get married or start a long-term relationship, or many of people join the military just to seek a better life. Uh, maybe one of the reasons they joined the military was exactly because they do have $80,000 in student loans. But when you join, eventually somebody in the military will take you aside and talk about the basics, talk about the thrift savings plan, talk about donating or contributing money to your IRA, talk about setting some savings, talk about living within your means. And as you get more experience in the military, right, the, the first six months to a year, you're probably not going to seek out a lot of financial advice. You're probably pretty busy getting started with the things you're supposed to be doing in the military. But eventually, you're going to get a little curious about how to save for retirement. You're going to try to figure out ways to earn extra money and save extra money. Eventually, you're going to start looking at things like the military retirement or military financial independence. If you're looking online, you're going to find the stuff that I've been writing about for the last 10 years. And eventually, we'll start that conversation.
0: But do, do you have to be proactive to find it? Or is there a, a program or something that brings it to... Um, particularly the new the new employees is the, is there a former program?
1: There is, and the Department of Defense wants to make sure that service members and military families are financially responsible. You know, don't don't sell your secrets to the enemy. Don't post your location on social media when you're in a combat zone. But the That's, other side of that, <laughs> that
0: sounds that sounds like a pretty good advice.
1: We we should start from the basics there. Yeah, y- the, yeah. The, no, the I'm, I'm with that, you. The, Now the financial independence (laughs) part, the saving for retirement part, you don't necessarily get a lot of information given to you. Now, we, we all set up touch points during your time in the military with the Department of Defense when you're supposed to sit down in a classroom or do some online training and you're supposed to learn something about the Thrift Savings Plan. But... Life is busy, and and when I was on active duty, uh, I was not exactly an enthusiastic supporter of having somebody from outside come in and tell me I had to sit down and train my people on this other subject when I had a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So it's quite possible that maybe you don't get that training if you're a military spouse. uh, Maybe you just never realize that there's all these accesses on the base. You know, there's a family financial support center on base, and you can talk with people there. There's accredited financial counselors that can help with the basics and help get you started on saving for financial independence all those resources are there but if you're busy it's tough to reach out and take the time to understand all that
0: if if i'm not mistaken the bases also have um a- attorneys who can do basic estate planning documents and so forth and and am i correct that there's no cost to that that's part of the the benefit package to be there is you can get those kinds of documents done without without hiring someone and, and spending a bunch of money
1: It's incredible. There's a lot of free benefits in the military. Let's keep the troops fit to fight and keep their families happy at home. But if you're not aware of the benefits and if you don't have some way of finding out about it, you know, somebody in your chain of command takes you aside and explains how to go tap into those resources, you're right, you're going to miss out. Now, it's fairly straightforward to tap into the legal resources, uh, people that need to have a will. That's the kind of stuff the chain of command really focuses on is making sure your family's okay, making sure you have your affairs in order, that sort of thing. But the part where you start talking about contributing at least 5% of your base pay to your Roth Thrift Savings Plan to make sure you get the full matching contributions, maybe that, that subtlety doesn't quite penetrate. Or if you're 19 years old and you have more money in your paycheck than you've ever seen before in your entire life, you're probably not quite ready to think about the Thrift Savings Plan just this month.
0: I we've worked with hundreds of families across the country, and one thing that feels universal is that folks in their twenties, thirties, even forties, a lot of times, aren't even thinking about retirement. You know, they're they're dealing with the immediate, the urgent, the the things that are directly in front of them. It could be a mortgage, it could be education, it could be it could be just paying the bills. Um, There's an enormous um, an enormous amount of time that uh, feels like an eternity when you're 20 and doesn't feel that way when you're 50. And um, <laughs> you know, but 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 what's interesting about that is the the folks who start at 20 don't have the stress when they're 50. The folks who wait till they're 50 have a serious climb ahead. And uh, someone should write a book on this, Doug. I, I think they someone really to should write a book on this. And, and man, and there if be only a place there where were a resource. Can get together. <laughs> if I, if, yeah, if only there were a resource to, 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 to find ways to do this. So you're writing that, a new book.
1: That's right. We're about ready to go to press on our uh, second book. It's been an interesting time trying to uh, finish editing and get ready to publish a book when there's a pandemic in the background. Uh, but <laughs> we're finally through all that. The uh, <laughs> uploads, uh, I, was, I just read an email hour ago that the uploads finally happened, and uh, we expect to be doing pre-sales next week and uh, probably have the print copy out in early September.
0: That's that's very exciting. I, I, I will tell you that my next book comes out September 15th and we're getting ready to start pre-sale in a few weeks. And so I'm I'm right behind you. It's exciting. It's uh, a little on the nerve wracking side, but it's exciting. And, uh, and so tell us about the new book, because when you start talking about next generation and, and financial independence and particularly multi-generational planning, that's that's one of the things that excites me the most about what we do for a living. So tell us about the new book.
1: Well, again, I'll start by saying that when you're 19 years old, you probably don't really care very much about this topic because you're too busy getting organized and getting your life squared away. However, uh, when I started going to financial conferences and meetups and cups of coffee with people, eventually the conversation would evolve beyond just saving for financial independence and people would actually get a little impatient. They'd say, yeah, yeah, I understand the financial independence part. High savings rate, frugal, cut out the waste. Sure, I got it. How are you raising your kids to have some financial sense and so as we started seeing those questions at first of course i was babbling trying to come up with some kind of an answer and eventually i started talking about things that we did in our family and after a few of these conferences uh, i was at my daughter's house she's a young adult launched got her own career married Uh, she's raising a five-month-old baby granddaughter and I talked Congratulations. to her spouse in my way. Oh, thank you! Life is uh, amazing when you're a grandparent. I wish I'd started that way. But the uh,
0: conversation. <laughs> you could just house, skip over all the responsibility. Yeah, that'd be great.
1: Right? There's there's no licensing. There's no qualification requirements. It's easy to be a grandparent. This you just show up and have a wonderful time and hand them back when but when a diaper fills up. But it's <laughs> yes, a, you but get to give the toys labor. that make
0: the noise and not hear the noise. Well, actually, I did do my share
1: of diaper duty while I was over there because everybody knows that you're not going to be there for the, the full time it takes to toilet train. So you might as well get some diaper changing in now. Where Just were to we? to remind you we not to have about- more children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would answer these questions. And my wife and I are visiting our daughter and our son-in-law, who at the time uh, were thinking about making a transition out of the military. And as the conversation talked about the financial conference, I said, Hey, I got that question again about raising a financially smart family. Do you have any ideas on that? Carol, do you remember when you were being raised, what we did to help you learn about managing your money? And her whole face lit up and she was off to the races on things that she remembered. So... As she was talking, I was listening to this and asking more questions and my spouse looked over to me and made that little motion with her hands that said, you better start taking notes on this stuff. And by the end of dinner, we actually had a kind of a topic outline of things to do to raise your kids so that they learn how to manage their money and eventually learn how to save and invest. And the next day she was at work and she had some more thoughts and wrote some more stuff down. And before we knew it, we had the outline, we started writing the chapters. now this was going to be my second book, so I knew a little bit about writing a book, but it was tremendously fun just to watch all the memories spill out of her and realize that what my spouse and I thought might've been a brilliant financial parenting tactic at the time, uh, the perception from a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 14-year-old, it was a little different than what we parents thought. And so that's what this book is about. I'm I'm not sitting here in an ivory tower telling you how to raise your kids with financial savvy responsibilities. I'm suggesting this is what worked in our family and these are the things we tried with our daughter and here's what she thought of it. And we use that back and forth narrative. So I'll talk about a story and what we thought we were doing and what we planned for it to work out. And then Carol will come back with her impression of how it really worked at that age, her memories (laughs) of how she felt about that. And then what she's going to do with her daughter to raise her and be more financially savvy than either her or her parents. And it's a, it's a great memoir. It's got a lot of tactics in there. I mean, we talk about the big picture, but the main focus is on the tactics, You know, exactly how you handle the allowance, exactly how you handle chores and jobs in your family. These are things that we did that we think will work for other people. It answers all those questions I got at all those financial conferences about raising a money-savvy family
0: you know most most people who we work with um are still trying to overcome the lessons they didn't learn or the things they have to unlearn from their parents um you know pe- people learn bad habits pe- you know married couples fight about two things more than anything and that's 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 kids and money and uh, not necessarily in that order quite frankly so when, right. if you wait if you grow up in a household where your parents are either very secretive about money where they argue about money or you know you you have one parent who's who's out shopping every day and the other parent who's turning lights off as soon as you leave the room because it's going to save the electric bill there's sort of this this dichotomy of of learning and even if you haven't attempted to train your kids they're watching you they're watching you and they're picking up your habits and then they have to unlearn them and then you marry someone and you not only have your own parents habits that that were ingrained in you but you have your spouses unlearned habits that, that, that need to happen from her, his or her own parents, it's a fascinating problem. So I, I'm excited to hear about the allowance thing because this is something we, we think, we, I, I feel like we have nailed this, Doug, so you're going you're gonna to grade me on it because this is a school theme anyway. Tell us a little bit about what is the, what is the, the secret to an allowance plan that actually is empowering and motivating and, um, and helpful long-term?
1: Well, the big picture is that the allowance is not designed to teach your kids how to save and invest. The allowance is designed to teach your kids how to manage money. They're they're nowhere near ready to think about saving and investing. And so when you give your kids an allowance, they think you're the best parents ever because they show up every week or every month or however you do your allowances in your family, and they get free money. Now, we also acknowledge that some families feel pretty strongly that maybe kids should not have an allowance. Maybe they should be on commission or maybe they should be working for the money they earn and and we understand that however the main purpose of giving an allowance is to put enough money in your kids hands for them to be able to do just about anything they can think of without being able to do absolutely nothing you want to give them enough money to be able to make some choices but also have some constraints And so when you give out that allowance, the kid thinks mostly of buying stuff and and finding candy or toys or clothing or whatever they want. As a parent, you're there to help them learn how to manage their emotions and learn how to make some choices and maybe maybe learn a little deferred gratification, but you're not going to see that until they're probably in middle school and to work with your kid's personality and to work with their emotions. You're there to help have a conversation about money and allowance allows you to do that because you're handing over the money and and talking about it. Um, I get asked all the time, where does this money come from? And the answer is that you're spending money to raise your children and the allowance is just part of that money you would be spending to raise them. The difference is that you're giving them that money to manage instead of you making the choices on how that money is spent. If you're gonna go out and buy your kid a t-shirt, maybe instead of going out there and buying the t-shirt and coming home and giving it to your kid, maybe you're ready to give them an allowance. Maybe they're ready to think about going to a garage sale or a thrift store and buying their own t-shirt. Now you can have a conversation. Now you can talk about money and choices and spending and all the things that go into that. that's how you find these teachable moments. And we've we've read books. There's a fantastic book uh, using analogies on this by david owen his book is the uh, first national bank of dad and in there he talks about giving your kids this money and in in your own mind you're going to mentally have an image of these kids taking your 20 dollar bill or whatever they've saved up and lighting it on fire like a fourth of july sparkler and running around the backyard having a really fun time with watching it burn up if you can if you can be patient with that that's what happens when you start to teach your kids how to manage money and you're going to see a lot of that eventually they're going to run out they're going to spend all their money they're going to make bad choices and they're going to feel those emotions and that's as a parent's uh opportunity that's the teachable moment when you can step in and say How did that feel? I'm sorry you don't have any money left. I'm sorry you wanted to buy this other thing and now you don't have any money. And how does that make you feel? And maybe what other choices could we have made? You start that whole conversation. That's how the allowance is designed to work.
0: I love that. We have uh, have a 10 year old. And um, several years ago, I guess two years ago, we started, she asked us for allowance. So it was one of those moments where, you know, the, the good news was it was her idea. And she said you know wow. i'd really like to have some allowance we did decide to to tie it to a couple of age you know age appropriate responsibilities though i confess they're they're more ceremonial than work um, <laughs> but but nonetheless they it's part of the deal you know yes you need to put away your own laundry uh, you don't have to wash it you don't even have to fold it but you do have to put it away so it's you know it's simple stuff however um we agreed on a on a dollar figure we agreed on five dollars a week now i don't know if that's a lot or a little every family's different but Um, yeah every week every week uh, we we give her five one dollar bills and we had her go out to a craft store and we got her three jars and we did the three jars one says fun Mm -hmm. one says long-term and one says charity and the rule the rule is every week at least one dollar has to go into long-term and at least one dollar has to go into charity the other three can go anywhere you want and what we've found is there are lots of times where she puts more than the the minimum, if you will, into the long-term savings and into the the charity piece, because she says, "I have enough fun money. i don't I don't need more of that. I, I have enough here." Um, at the end of the year, we went on and and researched charities, and we ultimately found a children's hospital that that was, again, an age-appropriate thing that she was felt good about. and we we donated what was in the charity jar. I also took her to a bank branch and she opened an account with, um, with the money in the long-term jar. And to learn a little bit about matching, I matched it. That seemed like the right thing to do. It certainly wasn't yeah, a lot absolutely. of money, but it, the, the idea was the, the training of it. Um, and I think it was incredibly empowering. Now what's disenfranchising is getting a statement that for the quarter you earned a penny. <laughs> um, that, is, that is hard to overcome uh, when you see that there's basically no interest in a savings account, which is true for all of us. But, uh, but yep. nonetheless, this idea that it's a that it's a growing, a growing thing for, for some kind of long term. So, you know, we've we've tried to do that. I still think it's it's a, a very difficult thing to, to teach kids not only the value of a dollar, which we all, um, you know, certainly wanted to know. But um, but how the system really works, how money really works. And I, I heard a, a funny a funny story saying, if you want to teach your kids about money, you have to teach them about taxes. So you go out and you let them <laughs> use their money to buy a double scoop of ice cream, a double scoop ice cream <laughs> cone. And then before they're allowed to have any, you take the top scoop and throw it on the pavement. And that's taxes. <laughs> so, or, I mean, technically, or, or you, even, you, you or give it to somebody else, let somebody else eat. Yeah, right. Mom and dad get to eat the first, the first uh, <laughs> scoop. So. Um, so Doug, we're we're um, we're dangerously close to running out of time here. I want to make sure that we get to our extra credit assignment and that we also tee yep. up where folks can can get a copy on on presale of your book and learn more about it. So, um, what would be the one takeaway? What's the other than of course, pre, you know, the presale and buying your book? What would be the one takeaway um, or the one extra credit assignment for our audience today?
1: Well, it depends on where you are in your life. If you're thinking about starting a family, that's great get your finances in order, start thinking about what you're spending, start tracking your expenses. Everything that we talk about for military families starts with tracking your expenses. And once you've done that, you have the awareness to start the next step of cutting out the waste and thinking about what's important in life to you. If you've already got kids and you want to start on the road to teaching them about financial literacy and working on financial independence, the next step there is to think about those three topics. Think about allowances, chores and jobs and how you want to do it in your family and you sound like you have yourself a saver so at that point you know that you're going to be able to work with the the things that she's naturally inclined to do on the other hand other kids end up being spenders and so the allowances chores and jobs maybe they're much more motivated to work because they're going to spend a lot more money think about those issues as you're starting your family and as you're raising your kids we talk about the tactics in the book and we also have a ton of resources Uh, The best place to start out is the website childfire.com, and that's the website where we talk about not just the book, but where we have all the blog posts that talk about the tactics. Uh, You're an author. You know the dirty little secret is that you publish a book, but a lot of the information in the book is also on the website, and there are people that want to have the book and other people that just want to read a few blog posts on the topics. So childfire.com gets you started on that.
0: That's that's terrific, and I do encourage our audience to check out childfire.com. Uh, some of the blog posts, just uh, just for for everyone's uh, understanding, one of them is called "Stop Eating Money," one of them is called "Experiencing <laughs> Labors of Love," and one of them is called "Living in a Tiffany Jewel Box," which sounds uh, sadly very appealing to my spouse. But nonetheless, uh-huh. uh, it, thank you, thank you, Doug, for for being on the show. That you've been a great guest. I, I wish you incredible incredible good fortune with the new book. Uh, It sounds like it'll be a terrific read, uh, and I I hope you'll put me on your list for for folks interested in getting an early copy.
1: Oh, absolutely, Eric. We'll send you a copy, and uh, you can take a look at that and then uh, share it with your clients if it helps out, and if you hate it, give it to your enemies.
0: (laughs) Will do. So please subscribe to our podcast, post comments and reviews. Consider sending us a question, which we might answer in a future episode of Office Hours. For more, go to DontRetireGraduate.com. To learn more about BFG Financial Advisors, visit us on social media or at BFGFA.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. From this day forward, Let us begin visualizing our dreams and building our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at don'tretiregraduate.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed.
1: Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present,